0: Right. CS Fritz, BD e. Moser. Happy day to you.
1: Happy day to you. Happy day to you. Did I get your middle name right? What did you say? What, I said BD Moser. What is the middle? What
0: do you think my middle
1: name is? I don't.
0: That's what i I just took a random guess. Oh yeah. So my middle initial is J, and so my 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 initials are BJM. So no no matter what way you split it, it's always been a, a fun joke for middle schoolers. Um, and my parents, um, had very little, and I do love my parents, but they had little creativity in my opinion around the name game. Um, and they picked BR names, like names that start with R uh, for my brother yeah. for myself, for my sister it was like the rhyming time was what it was. It was like, that was the season. Like let's all the kids rhyme. Their names should rhyme. So my middle name is really classic, really solid name. Uh, and that's Jared. And Jared uh, means little rose, and if you want to, yeah, and and if you want to even be, you know, just a little further, Brook means a little river. So, uh, (laughs) yeah. So when you actually, you, yeah, just a little guy. Yeah, just tiny stream, tiny flower, (laughs) but but but
1: beautiful, right? (laughs) Oh my gosh, dude, your parents though they took it further because most people, because I'm all C's in my family. And, but your oh, really? parents took it to all BRs, which is a step further than what I think most people were doing back in the 80s.
0: Oh, and if you want to know another fun thing, my, they, they gave my brother my dad's middle name and my younger sister my mom's middle name. I'm the only one. Oh. That, ne- that There was no matching of my middle name, which is whatever. I don't, I, I don't take it personal. There's no counseling needed for that. But uh, it was definitely funny when it was like, no, there's all of these like really intricate Little details yeah. that go together. Anyway, yeah. So, but your your middle name Scott, correct? Yeah,
1: I guess it's a family name. Okay. I don't
0: really know. <laughs> <laughs> you can we call your mom? Can we just get it right on right? <laughs> yeah,
1: dude. Yeah, you're over here. You have your full explanation and family plan, family tree, map, history. I'm like, yeah, I, I have no idea.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't have that's that's I don't have a family plan. Um, but you know, we're a couple weeks into this, Casey, and I I just love I love being able to connect with you. And I love our conversations. Uh, you just recently were at a horror convention um, for your book. And maybe could you tell us a little bit about that convention and about your book that you were there selling, promoting and all that good stuff? Because I
1: love that this is something that you do. <laughs> yeah. Also though, we're going into this pretty deep. So should we say you're listening to Vulture Boys?
0: <sighs> you know, yes, I'll do that. How about I do that? All I'll right. do that right now. All right. I just want to make hey, sure. Uh, this... This is, uh, Vulture Boys, this is a conversation about everything, and today we're going to rip apart some fun topics. Um, I have the honor of bringing the topic today, and in full integrity, Casey, Scott, the third (laughs) Fritz, has no idea what I'm actually bringing to the table. Is that true? Would you like to confirm that, Casey? That's true. That's true. So welcome to Vulture Boys. And we are so honored if you took a minute to listen. Thank you. And if you haven't had a chance to maybe just rate the podcast for whatever, you can give whatever rating you want, but that's really helpful for us. And if you want to even leave a comment and let us know how you're experiencing it, that would be a huge gift to To Casey and I, but Casey, you were at a horror convention, which some people might be like, what are you talking about? So tell us about (laughs) that. Tell us about the
1: book you're promoting. And uh, I just want people to know that before we get into this topic today. Well, thanks, Brooke. Yeah, my family and I, uh, well, we own our own hybrid publishing company. So we work with tons of different artists and we also release our own. And that one of those happens to be a horror novel, which I wrote called A Fig for All the Devils. So um, we're sort of in the horror world. And whatever that means... We have been, my son and I especially been going to horror conventions for years, since he was about seven and he's 16 now. So every year we'd go to multiple horror conventions in Los Angeles and they're really fun. They're actually very family friendly, despite what people may be hearing or believing. So a lot of kids come, they get dressed up, a lot of people in cosplay, a lot of fun you know, panels and crap like that. Anyway, so there's one here in Connecticut. Um, It was a big one. It's growing. And this is where we're located here in New England. So we decided, let's just see if our book company could go there and, and make some sales or make a splash or get new clients, so on and so forth. And so it was kind of an exciting event. We were there for two days. Um, it was a hell of a lot of work. It was so much freaking work. Oh my gosh. Just setting up, making sure we had enough books. We put a lot into it. We have a, you know, we have a nice banner. We have a nice booth. It was cost a lot of money to make it pretty nice, but we were pretty happy with it. And it was one of those things. We just probably five to 6,000 people came through. And it's one of the things wow. where, where you just meet and constantly talk. So we were there at nine, we left at nine and you just talk, talk, talk. And you're also talking to celebrities. So Henry Thomas, if you know who that is, um, you know we talked to him. I've seen him almost every year for the last past 10 years. So he's the um, actor who played Elliot in ET. Um, a lot of different So you horror. guys are good friends now, you're deep friends. You Not guys are on first name basis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like uh, tell me did he find him? Yeah, his name he's Little Mountain. Um so we got real close. So anyway, it was one of those things where it was just uh just sort of dipping our toe into it to see if it's something we liked, you know, convention if that's going to be in our future. We think it might be it was a lot of work like I said, but the kids the family had fun and we just got to get out and do something with our business. The first time promoting our business in 3 years. So dude, well, the one
0: thing I want to say is your book company is called Albatross Book Co. Yeah really cool stuff check out uh albatross book code dot what com dot co dot com oh okay. yeah, code dot
1: com. Yeah. yeah
0: got it got it um and you know i'm just talking uh, this is for future but just let's put a pin in it for accountability in this conversation that one of the things i know we're going to rip apart and talk about eventually will be your story um, and my story, we'll we'll rip those things apart. We'll go real deep. And I know a fig for all the devils ha- actually has a big part of your story yeah. and a big part of your um, your your life, which is a huge deal. And so I, I'm yeah, I'm really glad that you put that into the world. And and obviously, as we've talked about, it's won all these really rad awards and great work. Uh, and then I love that you design all of it too. I love that hmm. you're not you're like you're you're a full one stop shop. Yep. C S Fritz the Fourth, what a guy. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) Each time I mention it, it it's going to just get more. Yeah, yeah. it's going to get longer. Um, Well, today I am so excited to bring this topic um, because what I'd love to rip apart and talk about and really try to understand in our culture and time, we're in this really weird time where we have uh, access to so much film, uh, just so much of everything, like all the time. And so I, I, Casey's like, I think, I think I see sweat beating up. I can't tell uh, it's a screen. So uh, he's like, what is he going to say? Um, but I actually want to talk about and rip apart uh, the emotional process uh, of acting on sexual sin. I want to talk about the seven things that lead to sexual sin often wow. uh, and the emotional process that leads to sexual sin. And the reason I want to talk about that is, and, and we can call it sexual sin, or we can call it um, sexual uh, frustration, or uh, you can call it sexual uh, deviance, whatever you want to call it. The idea is that there's a part of your sexuality that when it's lived out in the right way, it's like really good for you. And it's really healthy for you. And when it's lived out in the wrong way, it's very bad for you. And it's very bad for culture and and life, even physically, biologically. So I wanted to kind of uh, rip this apart. There's seven of these things, we'll go through them. But Casey, are you game to talk
1: about this? Cause I didn't warn you about any of this. No, no, you d- didn't. And I don't know if I'll ever let that happen again. <laughs> yep. uh, so I want to make sure, so sexual frustration as played out in seven different ways or seven different ways to notice that you were sexually frustrated or what, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm fully getting this. What What is the overall Thank theme? You.
0: yeah. It's. I want to talk about the seven ways. It's the emotional seven process ways. of acting on sexual sin. Of acting on sexual sin. So what is the process? Yes. So what is the process? And let me give a backstory. Can I okay, give a backstory? Please. So in in my world and your world too, Casey, as well. Um. I've I've sat with many couples, many couple mm-hmm. or many people, couples, people, those struggling with same sex attraction, those living a, a completely lesbian or gay lifestyle, uh, married to the same gender. Um, uh, men just addicted, women addicted, and like completely overtaken by pornography, and their life is literally defined by mm-hmm. this. And they can't; they have no freedom. Uh, even with a lot of help, they they seem to have no freedom. Um, so I come across this a lot. Just recently, um, I was sitting at home and I received a text from somebody who basically had said it wasn't a person very close to me, but a person who basically said, "Hey, here's the deal." i can't call you right now because i'm just too emotionally broken but i've been sending sexual photos to this woman Mm. and she's been sending them back to me and her husband found out and called my wife and told her and and basically like i don't know what to do i'm completely broken this is incredibly tragic uh they have two you have a couple of young kids so that was just recently, mm. and that's just one of so many instances. And so what I wanted to rip apart and not shy away from, uh, because I see it as such an insane problem within our culture. And what we've talked about, I know we mentioned it in even some of our first episodes, that there's such a brokenness um around some of the power, money, sex, the whole thing. And with that sexual brokenness or brokenness of of our humanity, there seems to be almost an emotional process uh, that we could actually begin to be aware of in ourselves that might actually help us begin to understand what's going on in us and hopefully then lead to different outlets rather than acting on sexual desires or urges. So I want to just mention these seven and then I want to go through them. Is that okay with I, you? I love it. Yeah.
1: And also thank you okay. for sharing that story. That was That's heavy. It's very heavy, yeah. and
0: yeah, I, we, we definitely don't, I mean, obviously, we're not talking about heavy things for heaviness sake, but this is the reality of what so many people are living in. You know, I think mm. this is the thing that we have, all the podcasts that we like to listen to that are encouraging, informative, helpful, uh, give us the pointers for the day, um, and that's helpful, and there's so much space for that, there's so much need for that. I also know personally, I hunger for a space, and we're not trying to make this space that one, but I'm hungry, I hunger for spaces that talk about the things that are going through my mind when I'm as a leader going, how do I handle this? Like, how do I really actually talk to this person? And not only that, how can I be aware of this in my own life because uh, 1 Corinthians, man, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, I wanna look this up because uh, it actually, I was thinking about this in light of that verse because um, we have all those people and we can be those people. Casey, you and I can be those. We'll we'll just use ourselves as the example, that we can be those people that go, you know what, like, I know that I'm struggle. I know that I'm sinful. I know that I have stuff I got to work on, right? Like, you you know that, I know that, our our spouses know that especially. Um, but at the same time, it's easy to be like, well, that's not going to happen to me. And the thing that I always remember uh is 1st Corinthians 10 uh, the, an old like uh New King's James version I think is like take heed lest you fall mm-hmm. but a more current translation is so if you think you're standing firm be careful that you don't fall uh that's the NIV another translation basically says uh where is it right here verse 12 so beware if you think it could never happen to you lest your pride becomes your downfall and so this is something that hits a lot of people and I think especially a lot of men and um and we want to be really aware that this is also the case with sisters at times but it's often for different reasons and also we can't I don't want to speak to that because I'm not a woman so I can tell you uh the things I've talked and these seven things are things that um other psychologists and other therapists have that I've had personal conversations about and understanding this of like, how do we lead through this? How do I understand this in myself so I can take heed lest I fall? Um, But how can we also do that for other people? So I'll go through the seven, then we rip them apart. You ready? Yeah, thank you. Yep. Ready, okay. Yeah, yeah, so first, uh, the first part of usually acting out on a sexual sin is an unmet need. So you have, you know, we talked, I think I mentioned that before, like my favorite definition of sin is uh, a legitimate, Need met by illegitimate means, mm-hmm. so you have a legitimate need, but it's an unmet needs. maybe it's connection with your spouse, maybe it's not even a physical sexual connection. It's actually just like a, an emotional one. You just so there's an unmet need. second, um you feel entitled to an escape. So you're like, you know, I've been working hard, I mean, I sacrifice so much for this family, like I give to you all the time i, I I'm entitled to this escape, right uh, and then third, feeling useless like just feelings of uselessness. Like, gosh, I'm just, I'm such, I, I'm so lame. I'm just, I, you know, we'll go into that. Fourth, uh, then there's arousal of some sort. Like, well, your attention's scanning. How can I meet this need? And then it's, you know, arousal. Uh, fifth, it goes into arousal to lust. And then usually six, it's acting out. And that can be whether that's pornography or masturbation or, um, Uh, actually having some sort of sexual relationship with another person. And then seventh, which is all like the most interesting to me is anger. After all that happens, uh, what a lot of people experience is anger. So this is the emotional process to acting out on a sexual sin. And so I just kind of want to process some of that with you. So I want to, what's your first take? I know that's a lot I'm throwing at you, Casey, but what's your first take on all that? And how how are you experiencing this heavy
1: topic that you didn't know you were walking into? (laughs) I will admit, I've never seen these sort of seven steps towards acting out on any sort of sexual frustration or aggression or needs. So this is the first time I'm hearing this list of any kind. I guess if we could have written one, I guess I could have assumed some of of these. But even hearing this list for the first time, if we're going to sort of crack into at least the first one, it does seem like the first number two and number three fall under number one, that even those themselves are unmet needs. So the unmet needs Mm -hmm. almost feels as if it's this... Sweeping term, and I agree with it entirely. And I think that is probably the golden key to unlocking sort of these horrific actions or thoughts or moments or whatever it is that people don't want to do. So and there's something mm-hmm. with that. Don't do you agree that number two and number three seem as if they are essentially number one? Number one being unmet needs. What's no, number two again? Entitled to an escape. So uh, the unmet need. Uh, the the need is I need to escape. The need is I need. And the number three was recognition, right? Three, three is feeling useless. Yeah. Yes, yeah, So recognition.
0: Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Recognition that you're like, yeah, that this is a thing. Well, and the reason I want to even go through these, I, I, this is a framework. It's a framework yeah, yeah, for yeah. understanding. And the points really, I think, are ex- exactly like you're talking about. They're fluid. I think yeah. they can be fluid. But I think there's a we're trying to put these things in a way that our minds can categorize them To be able to then understand what's going on in us and to better see like, oh, I'm feeling a very real unmet need. Oh, I'm feeling entitled to an escape. Oh, that's making me feel useless. And now I'm aroused by this idea or this fantasy life that I can build
1: that is an escape. So so if I'm following you as well, you you being the expert on this. So if I'm following you- I'm not an expert on this. (laughs) So it does seem- I am not an expert on this. Obviously, just to sort of- say it publicly and clearly that unmet needs don't just mean sexual needs there is some sort of unmet needs on every aspect that lead to sexual comfort or immediate pleasure that the unmet need is not happening or granting or whatever could possibly be so there the immediate run-to is that in the same way would be alcohol for anybody else or whatever so on and so forth yes so i want to that's a really great distinction
0: that one of the things that is so interesting one of the reasons um Sexual sin is such a, an easy outlet, is because of how easy it actually is and how much comfort it actually brings. So, the quickness of release, even biologically, brings so much comfort to your biology. Right. 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 So, like that, that's one of the reasons why, uh, and this isn't to slam McDonald's, who's sponsoring this episode, by the way. No,
1: <laughs> i wish oh my god please lord
0: yeah. please you're like how did you how did you get that sponsor yeah if that was the case you know yeah. um but, like, what's the most when you're feeling really hungry or just feeling like, "Man, I want to eat my emotions, salt, fat and sugar hit it faster than anything else. They hit not only the the satiation stuff on you, uh, on in biology, but they also work really quickly. And so you know you it's interesting how it's not only that it is uh, an unmet need, you, sexual uh sin or trying to seek out sexual release could be an unmet need, like you're saying, about a lot of different things. It could be comfort. It could be um, distance from your spouse. It could be the fact that you had a hard day at work and you're stressed out. And that's what is so interesting. And I think why this is something that so many people, not only a struggle with, but also take heed lest we fall, that we can also, if
1: we're not aware of, uh, fall victims to as well. Okay. So with that, then what would your recommendation be to either that man who texted you and four months ago, as he has an unmet need, how would you identify unmet needs? What, what would be your rec- best recommendation, your best pastoral recommendation of going, hey, you're going down the bad path. You're on the first step. Here's how you know you're on the first step. Um, that's a great question. I would,
0: I mean, how, how do you identify that? Well, I think it's first of all, very hard to identify that. And the one And the reason I wanna say that really quickly is because that would have to uh, preclude that he and I have that deep of a relationship and that he's actually being honest. And there is this major problem that you and I have, and I don't think, I'm not saying you and I as in you and I individually, but you and I as humans and men especially have, which is I don't really want to, especially in the brief interactions I have, tell you about my deepest weaknesses. And I really don't want to tell you about what I'm struggling with to appear less. Strong than I am, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So I think what's really tricky about this is that this is often something for a lot of men that they don't actually even tell any. They actually keep it pretty private, even to the point where it's just they know about it. They're struggling with it. And so because of that, I think it's very hard to know, like, unless you're having like sitting down and having consistent relationship and pressing into these kinds of questions. Hey, where are you feeling like you have unmet needs in your life? Like, and, and honestly, like I don't usually talk like that. I ask different questions because that question can feel so invasive to some people. Now, if someone asked me that, I would just be an open book because I love that kind of stuff. That said, not everybody does. And that's a really like deep question. But it, I think one of the ways that we do that is we form community and have yeah. the kinds of relationships with others right. where we are checking in and having, and, and maybe this is the beginning for some people where, you know what? We need to start asking these types of questions. Where are your unmet needs? Where do you feel entitled to an escape? How are you feeling useless in your life? What things are arousing your personality or arousing your your uh, your attention and you know all that kind of stuff? Um, because I think that's the only way you can really get to it. So to answer your question, I don't know if I would have been able to even identify that and, and or helped him because I don't know if he would have actually been honest. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I understand that. I'm just assuming he was honest, trying to help people identify unmet needs is probably an important aspect of people's communities. So I think you're right. We're we would probably say it in different ways in different discipleship groups or in different circles. But how in the world we can find somebody identify early on um, a stain of any kind or a pain point of any kind? I mean, this is why therapy is so fantastic because it allows I you agree. to do the work first and foremost before you, you know, you can start identifying these things. So even what I like, what you were saying is the lacking of vulnerability that somebody could have, especially with men in community trying to appear strong. That is the unmet need because they are not, even that in and of itself is an unmet need because they are not able to communicate rightly the vulnerability that they need in order to survive or avoid sexual downfall. Promiscuity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of it in light of like all of that's going on. Okay. So, so here's another, you know, interesting reality to this. So, all of these um, seemingly strong and seemingly well put together individuals, it, there's a general general thing going on where there's a lot of moral failure within Christian communities and within Christian circles, which I know you and I those are those aren't our only circles, but those are a primary circle. We, we're very involved and know of a lot of different um, and know a lot of different leaders and people in these different movements. And so there's this other problem that I don't think anyone's really understanding fully, which is that these people, Um, that have a lot of power or a lot of, they're highly visible people failing consistently across the board, creates a massive insecurity within our spouses. Like I'm just explaining like a massive, and I'm not the only person that's experienced this. And I'm not saying my wife is insanely insecure, but if she's like, whoa, I, these guys said like, here's their ministries, here's their effectiveness, here's their, their life. And these guys are falling. And then It's not just that that happened, it's that it just keeps happening and keeps happening. And it happens in small ways and in the micro ways, but it's happening in a macro way. It creates this other problem of almost people in general kind of waiting for the hammer to drop. Like, well, when's this guy gonna mess up? You know, when's Casey gonna mess up? When's Brooke gonna mess up? When is your pastor gonna mess up? When is this guy, like, Mm -hmm. you're almost waiting for the hammer to drop. It's almost like instilling thinking the worst of everybody. And that's a, a massive problem as well, which I don't know if we'll have time to rip apart, but that's, uh, that's another side effect of what's going on. And then the <clears throat> reality that we can see everybody's problems. Like we didn't, you know, there's, there is that macro uh, suffering where we start to have to care about Uh, what's going on in Taiwan right now. Now, obviously, as a human, I care about what's going on there. And by the way, I don't know if there's anything going on in Taiwan. I just mean the fact that I could pick up a phone and I could find out the pain that millions of people are experiencing there and see devastation and loss and pain, uh, that does something to me that starts different inroads in my mind it starts fear it starts frustration where you know a long time ago that we wouldn't have known for that for maybe hundreds of years you might not ever you might not know that for weeks at least but you might not know that for a very long time so anyway i'm rambling now but the point is i think there are all of these other side effects to this given our culture and time that we have to also be aware of and so uh what are your thoughts i'm going to stop talking now
1: if yeah if i'm hearing you correctly even it seems as if culture isn't in, in branding or marketing or social media or technology or culture is introducing needs that there no way could even be met, which is probably even producing a greater sexual need. So, mm. what's happening is, yeah, maybe back in the day there was unmet needs between, you know, the Leave It to Beaver family, but they didn't have the outside pressures of whatever, whatever, whatever else could be telling you that you're missing out on. And so, what's happen, happening is it seems almost as a double edged sword or catch-22 in the sense that we're constantly seeking these things to meet needs, but at the same time, they're draining us to become more and more unmet, so leading to more. So I think we're having more young men, more young women finding they have unmet needs, seeking sexual pleasure of any kind to fill those holes. And I think this is the state of where we're at, if I'm following you correctly, or at at least trying to marry what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah the
0: the other the other phenomenon that's really interesting with the rise of internet pornography as just one example is all the biological things that are happening in young men where they're getting married they've had so many years of sexual experiences online whether that's just through visually being simulated or watching or connecting online through screens where they have their their they get like uh, this is a a real story I read um. In a book from a a friend that wrote a book recently she's amazing she's brilliant and she wrote this book and she shared this story in this book of a person that she had interviewed i don't know his name or his story but basically that was his experience he was a christian he gets married he's you know really adamant to be a virgin on his Mm -hmm. wedding night um which that's something we can rip apart too what what constitutes virginity um And he gets into this space where he hasn't ever had a physical connection with a woman, although mentally has been stimulated for years. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's standing in front of his now wife. They're both naked and unashamed, but that's not the truth for him. He is so, like, his body does not know what to do. So he's in front of a woman for the first time, and and he is not able to actually be aroused by that at all. He's in fact unable to actually have intimacy with his wife because his mind is so yeah. wired in in a way where it is the and and this isn't um this is a, a widely understood thing in the sense if you look well <laughs> a couple it, spaces this is a thing.
1: Yeah, I mean I've heard I've heard recovering porn stars in interviews before where they talk about a man unable to finish. Um, for hours upon hours so a man who does this in the act of pornography he has to be able to finish on his own he can no longer finish with a woman so the body is completely rewired the body's completely rewired to only work to his hand or to him his control so he's and again they're filming for however many hours they said you know what i mean and which is completely unnatural of him having to do this so yeah the, the the rewiring of the body in is, the
0: brain specifically, yeah. It
1: is, it is a horrifying process of how we can rewire evolution in our own bodies in a short amount of time. This isn't going to take a thousand yeah. of years, which we are leading that way, but what we can do in a short amount of time where we can actually biologically rewire is a terrifying idea. I also wanted to point out what I found fascinating about what you're saying is I think what's happening too, as far as unmet needs go, is I think unmet needs to most of the culture is actually probably more starting with unmet expectations which we then believe become needs. So a young Ooh, man sees good. Yeah, he sees something in pornography and he goes, "Okay, this is how girls position themselves this is how the dialogue goes whatever it is, I'm just picking on pornography or even movies whatever you could possibly say and this is what they see and they go, that's my expectation." And when it doesn't happen, it immediately has a metamorphosis or a mutation into unmet needs because it didn't meet the unexpe- unmet expectation. So we are even setting hmm. people up even more so for some pretty terrifying unmet needs. Yeah, absolutely, and I I agree the unmet, and, and I think
0: even unconscious expectation. So I think it's important to maybe realize you could have expectations because of what you put in your mind and what you see, Uh, that could really actually start playing out even if you're not realizing it to where you're expecting these things without being fully present to the fact that you are expecting these things and when they don't happen you usually don't know what you're expecting until you don't get what you're expecting or it doesn't go the way you want and then you're like whoa really disappointed and what talk about a destroyer of relationships which as if we're ripping this apart just perpetuates the cycle because then you're now disappointed with the fact that something didn't go the way that you wanted it to. And so, because it didn't, you're now discouraged about that. So let's
1: do this then, because we're on that point, what I'd love to hear, remind me again of number two then. So we have a boy, it, we have a boy or a man who's now experimenting. Unmet with needs. And what's the second one? Uh, entitled to an escape. Okay. So this is what happens, right? So we have The young man who's on his wedding night, he can no longer perform, or he's been doing this pornography. It doesn't work, or doesn't come around to his expectations, and then it comes Mm. to number two—a needing to escape. Because, I mean, obviously, I'm just trying to follow suit and also move it along because I want to hit all seven. But at the same time, it is fast. It's not. It's actually not even that fascinating in the sense that it just makes so much common sense that once your expectations fall through and once your needs fall through, the only thing you want to do in that moment is get the hell out of there. You want to get out of dodge. Mm yeah and I think you have to remember, as you know as we're talking
0: about, maybe just for anyone listening, Casey and I obviously are not experts on this. There's a lot of people that are experts on this and have a great amount of resource and expertise and and talking about like your sexual history and your own sexual past and sexual brokenness and there's a lot of resources we can even put some in the show notes, but I think the point being that. We're having a conversation about this. And so I know you're not coming to this as an expert. I'm not coming to this as an expert. I'm coming to this as a person who says, I see a problem. This is happening all around me in the sense of a, uh, a, a like I said, a macro level, but it's also happening on a micro level. I just got a story the other day, another, another story where um, there was this friend, uh, I heard of a story that happened to them. And long story short, uh, there was these two kids who were now adults. They they knew each other when they were growing up. Um, they hadn't seen each other for a handful of years. And the parents used to hang out and the kids used to hang out. Everyone kind of has that, right? We all kind of have those like, our families used to hang out when we were kids. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, somebody moves or whatever. So that was happening. They, they grew up together until they're maybe like in their teens. And then families move away. And it's probably, you know, a decade or 12 years between like, when they stopped seeing each other to when they saw each other again. And this these two friends, it was a guy and a girl, they saw each other and they met at this, I think it was at a church they ended up seeing each other. It was completely by accident. They're like, oh my gosh, what are you doing here? I go to this church. Like, oh my goodness, we we just moved here. So kind of crazy story. And then the guy says, you know, oh man, it was so hard when you guys moved away. I wish that didn't happen. You know, whatever happened, you know, like did some like not something happened, but like, man, it's just so sad that that happened. And she gets kind of quiet and she's, you know, kind of thinking, you know, my, I'm filling in for her, but kind of thinking, should I tell him or not? And basically she just says, Hey, so yeah, what happened that you probably don't know is that your dad sent a photo to my dad and highly inappropriate photo. And they didn't know what to do. They had no channels to talk about it. So they literally ended the relationship and tried to get out of any sort of community, any sort of connection, and moved away as quickly as possible. Now, this, wow. this guy didn't know this. And obviously, talk about a revelation about yeah. <laughs> his own dad, right? But then also like, whoa, the brokenness. And so I think you know, that, that story of entitled to an escape, insecurity, all these different things that we feel, uh, these things happen way more. So I'm telling you this because someone was sharing this with me. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is happening all around me. This is happening all like, seriously, the line of success is like, please just don't take inappropriate photos of yourself and send them. Like if you do that, you are going to be doing w- just way better than most. Like You'll do really yeah. well. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just think this is happening all around. And so I want to understand it and I want to, to pick it apart. But do you have any thoughts on that before we move on to the, the other couple?
1: No, I, I don't have any thoughts. Um, I, you, I've had so many interactions with parents about their children who are sending inappropriate photos via Snapchat. Yeah. And the accessibility or the expectation that they can just send them pictures of them in a bra or whatever it is is uh terrifying to me for my own children Mm. and checking Mm -hmm. in on that but it i'm trying to affirm what you're saying that this is becoming so you know nomenclature it's just becoming so natural that uh we are absolutely destroying the future generations sexuality Absolutely, and I get I get to
0: the spot where I think, okay, I think one of the things that people don't maybe understand is the consequence. So a lot of people, even Christians, probably what what I pick up is that I people have a generalized idea of what this does to you, maybe like consequentially, like there's consequences built in. But I also think that there's a lot of people that don't fully understand the consequence of what it looks like when you live this way, and. And really, it comes down to that. Like, you're literally, there's one, there's one sin in the scriptures that's listed in, where you sin against yourself, and that is, um, that's sexual morality, right? And like, when, hey, wait, like, wait, wait. sinning against... That can't be the only one. There's got to be suicide. Well, the suicide. one that I'm referring... Well, I'm talking about in the sense of the, you know, there's, there's that passage. I can't, I'm blanking on where it's at right now, but basically where it's like the, this, it's in first Corinthians, I think somewhere where you sin against your, you're sinning against your own body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we can, we can dig in more if that's. No, no. I just want to make sure anyone, but... I think,
1: you know, cause we've talked even a lot about which we want to do a podcast on an episode on is even gluttony um, yeah, and different yeah, things yeah. like that. But I just wanted to make sure that I was tracking with you if you had a. A point going, no, here, I, here's how I can prove that sexuality is the only sin where you can sin against yourself.
0: No, I, I, I don't have a, a point on okay. that. I, I'd want to I'd think of that through yeah. before I just <laughs> make a blanket statement to confuse people potentially. But I think it actually has more to do with the fact that there's consequences to your own soul, to your own biology. Uh, when you live out of order in a disordered way, yeah. things become really, really, hard on you specifically yeah. you're, you're it makes your life hard when you live with a ton of sexual partners uh s- disease you know even stds uh the consequence of just a, a biological promiscuous life what happens to your bio biology is really um devastating not only to that to relationships and it is literally signing up for pain for your life it's just like a lot of pain yeah.
1: and a lot of frustration Okay. So this is great. So we have the unmet need. And when that is Ribbon. unmet, it gets struck by lightning or there's a twisting, there's a turning, there's a turning the other way of looking for an escape. So yep. the fire starts, you look for a way out, you look for a, a way out. And then what's the third one again? And then you're feeling useless. And then you start to feel useless. This to me, when you li- listed them all off, this to me, I think is probably the most haunting of them all. Feeling yeah, tell me useless. why. I, I think that we, are, we, we as human nature have such a desire to be desired. We have such a mm. want to be wanted, um, especially sexually. So if you were with mm. somebody who didn't find you this way or you know, was not into your body, whatever you want to say sexually as we're on the subject, I think because if we look back at Genesis that they were with each other naked and not ashamed obviously that memory trace pulling straight back from eden of we are supposed to be naked with a person sexually and we're supposed to be fully welcomed and so the fact that you are unwanted in the most vulnerable state is the most fracturing to me so if you at your most vulnerable wow is that your most unwanted that has to be whatever it is doubled magnified on acid you know what i mean hmm. that's a really great insight and i would agree
0: with you that would that that is devastating that's and i i actually think what's so interesting i was talking to someone recently my wife and i were uh, to her, uh, to someone we know and and she basically had said along the lines of well you know my husband's not really doing all the things i would like him to do he's not really communicating with me he's not really trying yet he complains that we don't have enough sex yeah and and then she goes she goes and I don't really I'm like, yeah, well, you're not even doing anything like that's her response. And you're like, you know, so first of all, it's like, okay, we can understand that when people don't meet needs and neglect happens and there's a lack of love that what is immediately stirred up in a, in the opposite sex or in your spouse is not a desire to be more connected. We can obviously agree with that. But what was so interesting to me was that it was so normal to just be like, "You won't give me what I need, so I'm gonna basically withhold from what you need and don't complain about it because you're not trying."
1: That and that is the essence of transactional relationships. And anybody who has a transactional relationship is doomed to fail. And that is that's true of married people and the church. Anybody who comes in going, "I do because you do, and you do because I do," that is not the love we see displayed in Jesus. Jesus does. I mean, that's that agape type of love, right? So it, Jesus does despite of what you're able to do, the Samaritan, you know, the, the, the Samaritan way, so despite of what you're able to give back to me, I will still care for you above and beyond. And that is both true for the, spout, the spouse on both parties, you know what I mean? Either spouse. So tell me really quick though, if somebody
0: is in that space, would you say, this, this is on topic, a little off topic, but we're on number three, feeling useless. Is that mean that that, that spouse um, has a, a consumer mindset in their marriage? Are they fully, like at that point, would you go, you're, you're walking with Jesus? Or man, do you even understand fully what it means to walk with Jesus, the gospel? All, and I'm not saying, I'm not toying with the, the idea that like, is somebody saved or not? But I am saying like, well, that's a big miss.
1: Yeah. My first, obviously I wouldn't just tell somebody you know you have a transactional relationship you know whatever and I wouldn't just slap the wrist and freak out <laughs> him on the meeting I would I would try to show that there is a level of you both bringing your absolute best care and lacking of trans- transactionalness to each other so obviously mm-hmm. if the husband was being a total total horse face, I would get in there and try to work on that in the same way you would with the woman you know anybody would but I just want to make sure yeah, that I'm not miscommunicating. Oh, even if your husband's being a total wiener, you ha- don't you just do whatever he wants. Brooke just shuddered at my word of wiener. Uh, I guess it's probably not the best choice of words for this talk. I'll use um, bolsa cabasa. So he's being a total bolsa cabasa.
0: I, I have a feeling that that means something far worse than what you said. If he's, yeah. don't,
1: don't go into it. Just keep going. I don't remember. Ultimately, I, anyway, I... I don't know if, I'm, I'm just being redundant now. My point yeah, yeah. I think was made nonetheless is that married couples, when this type of stuff happens, as far as feeling useless, the number one thing that I think people can start doing is just to resolve any of this, and this is so stupid simple that I'm going to sound like an idiot, but if they're not communicating about their needs, they are doomed to fail. And so my thing, even when I've, I've done a thousand premaritals and I constantly tell the couple, you need to talk about sex as much as you talk about what you're having for breakfast, as much as you're talking about bills, as much as you're talking about your children. And anything that you want to discuss about your sex life needs to be discussed fully clothed, because if it happens up there, your senses are so highly alert because you are fully naked and exposed to the other person that if there's even an ounce up there, it'll just throw you off. But that same ounce that you bring into a conversation clothed will not throw you off. So communicate, 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 communicate about whatever in the sexual sexual um, sphere. You need to be talking about positions. You need to be talking about fears. You need to be talking about wants. You need to be talking about anything that you are wondering. You need to bring it to your spouse. And so that, I think, completely makes that scary moment of nakedness less scary. And, and it
0: goes to the feeling useless piece like you're talking about. And I would say if anybody's listening to this and like, oh my gosh, this is so my life, I'm seeing this, or or if, if we are unintentionally describing your experience, I think that the main thing that you have to do is if you don't want to become another one of those stats, if you want to be aware, take heed lest you fall. The way that you do that is by bringing, I think, accountability, deep conversation, vulnerability, which is hard for a lot of people, a lot of men especially, uh, of like, hey, I am actually struggling with this part of our relationship and I wanna talk about it. And I wanna make sure that
1: we're yes. open about it. I encourage couples and I try to practice my own marriage that depending on what you need, it could be a weekly or monthly or bi-weekly sit down with your wife and you go, how are we doing physically? How are we doing emotionally? How are we doing mentally? How are we doing spiritually? And you break those down and you gather that data and you put it to work you put it to work. And if you are not mm. checking in physically and only checking in emotionally, well, you've missed the disconnect as we were talking earlier about the biology that's between good. our bodies and our hearts and our mind. So mm. if you're not making that a priority, that is a shadow do- a shadow indicative of a bigger mountain of what you're not prioritizing. So if that's not huge on your list, I think it's telling. That's convicting
0: and good. I think that's a really great reminder. And I think there's maybe it's just something to mention that it, it it's hard with, I mean, once everyone's story is different, but if you're alive right now, your life's full, it's busy. I mean, I've never seen so many stressed out single people with a ton of time on their hands. Yeah. I'm always like, right. what? Like, I think it's obviously just a dis, you know, I don't mean that to be rude to anybody that is not in a space where they don't have family or to say that family means you're super busy. I think it just means it doesn't matter if you're alive or if you have other responsibilities or if it's a big workload, like your life is full. And it's easy to, especially in the the arena of marriage, uh, to have enough space and time to connect. It it takes, well, it's not hard. It takes a lot of work is the right way to say it. It is like something that you have to fight for, something that you have to be really present to, to do. So I would say, yeah, one of the first things, do what Casey just said. Those four things, Casey. Say them one more time. Just sit down and talk about what are the four things. Say it real quick.
1: Yeah, couples need to sit Connecting down. On f- couples need to sit down and have weekly, bi week or monthly meetings of talking about how are we doing physically, which is sexually. How are we doing physically, sexually? How are we doing mentally? How are we doing emotionally? And how are we doing spiritually? That will save a marriage if that's a priority, and especially if the other person goes, "I'm here to support, meet needs." care for call out whatever it is
0: yeah that that's the piece that i think couples get too far uh they haven't done that enough and they get so far to where they're now bitter and it's hard to even say that they want the good of the other person yeah they're basically like i've been so hurt for so long i don't even want to be a person that helps you i don't even want to be goodwilled towards you right So what do you say to somebody that's in that space? That's like, I've already dismissed the fact that caring for you is my responsibility. Now we all know it is, but as a, as a spouse, it is. But like, what do you say to that person?
1: Yeah, that one's tricky. Obviously we're playing with hypotheticals and case by case, you know, no marriage is the same, but to the person who's given up, this isn't about sex. This isn't about sexual frustration. They have given up and, um, if the other spouse is not wanting them to give up with their words, with their minds, but their actions say differently, we're kind of dealing with not apples, we're dealing with oranges now. And that is something that transcends sexuality and really comes down to understanding their vows, their public proclamation of promises being made, understanding Mm -hmm. that you may not like the person, but what does it look like to love or serve them or to grow in the likeness or to help draw out what is it that you liked about him or her originally? like going back to the basics is so supreme in marriage. Is What were you first attracted to them? What, what, what drew you in or what were your first dates like? Recreating some of that stuff. So anything beyond that, I would just say, if you're starting to see that, I don't even want to help them. Again, these are red flags that so there's something infinitely deeper uh, stirring or going sour mm-hmm. or rotting. Yeah, that's
0: a great, oh, that's uh, and almost like a, war- a warning sign. Like if that's where you're at,
1: yeah, it like, should be a warning a, sign, but honestly, the, yeah. that at that point, what's scary is it, that it may have gone past. Not that not to the point of no return, but you you've missed a lot of warnings. You're getting to the point where I don't even like this person or want to help. There was probably similar warning signs or a lack of working on both people. So what was um? I yeah, want to for the, for the sake of time, number I, I, four. Yeah, I want to make sure I don't want to hmm. lose them. Number four. No,
0: no, I got you. I I'm with you. Uh, number four is arousal. So uh. In this emotional process, identify your unmet need. Secondly, be aware of your entitled meant to escape. Be aware if you're feeling useless or identify
1: if you are. And then fourthly, uh, what normally happens is arousal. What were you going to say? No, I just find that, I find that interesting. Um, you know, I know you went through the list, but I guess I forgot now that we're ripping it open that you get to number four, arousal. arousal. So that's interesting because you're in such a broken state, obviously, and you're aroused mm-hmm. At the opportunity or the idea of something else is what it's saying um you know i don't i i would be careful to i i don't know if it's like oh it's exactly
0: i don't think it's just sexual like you said i think you can be aroused although that arousal does have sexual undertones of meaning i think arousal also can be connected to uh, a new opportunity, Uh, you know, you're feeling useless and you're feeling entitled to an escape. So it's an arousal about a different life that you can live without your family or almost like you're aroused to these different ideas. Some of that, a lot of the times I think because we're talking about an emotional process to acting on sexual sin, I would say like identify where your arousal is And where if it's coming on in the sense of like, oh, you know what I would really love? I'd love to escape with pornography or I'd love to talk to this person or whatever.
1: So arousal. Okay. So if you start finding yourself attracted to things that are stealing you away from what you know to be right. Okay. So arousal to those things. I I like that definition. That's good. So if we're starting to find other things more appealing than actually caring for the situation or drawing attention to it, huge red flag, huge red flag.
0: Huge red flag, which leads to this, the fifth one, which yeah. is lust. And I think again, because we're talking about the emotional process, uh, lust and arousal are often different. Um,
1: but what we—no, yeah. please tell, tell me, because I would have thought going, "Ooh, I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to this opportunity," I would have thought equated that to lust. Well, I think if I think there's again overlap,
0: I'm sure there's overlap, and and again, I'm not a professional. We're talking about something people are listening right now to a conversation about this emotional process to acting on sexual sin. So, you know, I, again, we, we have, this breaks down eventually for, for Casey and I, um, there's other people that have more definitive statements, but I would say that when it comes to this topic, uh, that the lusting piece is that wanting fixating on the thing that you, so you're aroused by something, but then now lust, you're fixated on it. You want it. you're now drawn into almost like a deeper level. That's how I'm interpreting it. Um, it's like a deeper fixation on the the thing, whatever the thing is.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. So my I thought. Yeah. I I'm probably also thinking too that arousal means your eyes are open and you're allowing yourself to a new opportunity. And when that, and then lust is that's what I want. So it almost feels like arousal yeah. is like I need to look elsewhere, and lust is going that I found it that identify yeah that's a great way to say it
0: and then that moves to the sixth one and this is again the emotional process is acting out so that's where i think um there is predetermined damage done in the sense of like i think there's some damage done in the sense of getting to the space where you're like entertaining each step i think goes a little bit further a little bit further a little bit further but sixth one acting out is where the damage in reality occurs that's when the damage actually happens in the story that I shared about the person uh sending, you know, sexual text to another the, uh, someone who wasn't his spouse. That's where I think the the acting out is where the what's gonna, been going on internally just now becomes reality and where deep consequence
1: begins to actually yeah. appear. Yeah, I uh it's wild talking about this because um, this is such a stupid analogy. And uh, I'm not endorsing this by any means, but I am watching that new show Dahmer on Netflix. And it's literally every episode are these seven steps, every single episode. And really, it, it's crazy hearing this come alive of watching Dahmer, the character, immediately see it or, or open to it or pushing himself out there. He's fishing then he sees what he wants, then he acts out. And it happens over and over and over and over. He identifies what he wants and he's open to what he wants. And then he goes out and gets it. And it happens and it keeps showing these sequences of him imagining and him wanting and him open and him feeling like everything else is falling apart. I mean, these are the seven steps of sexual frustration. Um, not that all these will lead to being a serial killer and eating your victims. <laughs> yeah, that's extreme. That's, that's very pretty extreme. extreme. <laughs> but I will say that these are the seven steps towards uh, destruction. These are like the catastrophic yes. ways that you can do this, and it plays out with different people, as we're saying. So it's just fascinating seeing this in real life. We just watched it last night, and everything we're talking about is playing out over and over with Dahmer. Wow, that's so interesting. What way to apply it to something in pop culture
0: currently. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I mean it. That's really that is helpful. But you're, but I mean, I think that's actually true of a lot of biblical truths and a lot of things that are rooted in. In jesus that we see them i think it's just having the lens to see them um and then the seventh one is anger and what i find so interesting about this and, and i know like even with what you're talking about i wonder how much of the acting out in the example that you used of dahmer um like there's an i haven't seen it because i don't I, I just won't be able to do it like but oh, it's the dark. the thing with yeah, that's what I mean. Like I can just you you can look at the title. I'm like my soul can't take that. Yeah, uh, I'm not I'm not able to do that. But the, the idea though of being uh, angry, like there is a deep seated anger when we dishonor our humanity. I think we sometimes are aware of it, but oftentimes, at least in my experience, other people notice it before I do. Other people notice that. Hmm. Uh, there's an edginess, there's a shortness, there's an anger, there's an edge about me. And that doesn't have to just be if you acted on sexual sin. I'm, I'm not even saying that's always the only way in which this happens. But I think when we dishonor ourselves or live in these ways in which we're trying to meet our legitimate needs and illegitimate with illegitimate means, um, there's like an anger
1: that starts to boil in us. What are your thoughts on that, Casey? Yeah, I... I, thought, I found it interesting that you said that the anger is pointed at the breaking of humanity. Um, that is... You
0: find it interesting, like disagree with it, which you're welcome to do, or you're saying interesting, like
1: you just wouldn't have thought of that. Maybe both. Um, maybe both, only in the sense that, you know, I, I guess maybe the... That's the humanity's macro. And so when people do get mad, let's just say, for an example, if somebody were to look at, you know, they're trying to abstain from pornography and then they look at pornography and they're immediately pissed, right? Like mm-hmm. anybody with conviction, if we're talking about Christians who look at pornography, they look at it and they immediately go, gosh, darn it, why did I do that? And they start getting frustrated. It feels like, yeah, maybe they're angry at themselves. For you know, for for not listening to what the Bible says, they're angry at. Oh, I upset God. They're angry that they didn't have enough willpower, and so maybe that all falls under humanity. But it also just seems mm-hmm. like they're they're just angry at themselves. But maybe that's their anger at themselves for not actually following through. So I just find it that that is such an inward bend. Immediately the anger goes yes. inward, and the people who don't, the people who have too, too much of an ego or not enough self-awareness, put that anger outwards, and that's when stupid things like. Horrific things like abuse starts happening, or you know they start taking it out on their children, mm. or they're taking it out on other people, or they go to work and take it on their coworkers. So it is interesting that how people will display the anger, but I find that fascinating that you said towards humanity. I think it's I, well. What I meant by that is
0: when you dishonor your own humanity. Yeah, okay. You dishonor, it's the sinning, sinning against yourself. I like that. In the sense, like 1 Corinthians talks about, that's what I was referring to. Okay, not humanity it's in general. Sinning, not like not humanity In general. No, like when you dishonor and sin against yourself in the example that we're using, that the natural byproduct is almost whether you're totally aware of it or not, is this anger, this edginess, this disorder within your soul. And even if you're not aware of it, I think there's a lot of things that go on un, you know, under our conscious. Yeah. Uh, and things come out. And I and I and I've seen it time and time and time again. So I, I just think it's really interesting. A book I want to mention, um, obviously I think I mentioned this every I need to stop mentioning him. Is it Rollheiser? Rollheiser. He's whole yeah, again. Crap. But are you endorsed I, by I'll him? Stop. Dude, no, I here's what happens. Are you, you know what happens? I've told Yeah, well, to I mean he can't be. He, he can't be because he's a he's a celibate but the point being
1: um so that that means Uh, you would have though (laughs) that's the best part is that that's the only reason not that you're married (laughs) (laughs) no i mean i would have celibate or i would have yeah i would have jumped all over that Oh. (laughs) oh my gosh
0: um you know you know me well enough to know i get into an author and i read everything by him that's just how it works. If I get into somebody that I like, and they speak to my life, and they think in a way that I appreciate, yeah. I end up uh, consuming all of their content to understand them better, and to in some
1: way be mentored by some of their thinking. So yeah, I remember that's your just a. I remember your Stephanie Meyer incident where you just did every fifty. 50- <laughs> I mean, you were really into that author for a while yeah that was that was one really I, I, every podcast we did completely false wow i'm yeah those Fifty shades of brook baby 50 shades of Brook. oh my
0: gosh um if this is something i just i just want to say two things uh because we're going to close out here be aware of of this that's the first thing that's that's the thing i want to say be aware of the, what the emotional process of acting on a sexual desire or sin looks like and unmet needs entitled to an escape feeling useless arousal lust acting out in anger i think these are just things for you to have write them down be aware of them in your own life and uh, the reason i'm mentioning ronald rollheiser is because as a celibate priest he has to struggle with this deeply in the sense of all how do you handle all of this energy and desire and beauty and at the very same time honor god with uh actually walking as a celibate priest and uh, he wrote this little book called the fire within desire sexuality longing and god and it's just a really really it's an easy read it's a quick read but it's a very um good example and helpful clarity on the deeper things behind what we're talking about that sexuality comes from this beautiful power that god's placed in you and when it's misplaced, it's destructive, but when it's in its place, you know, I think I remember having the sex talk with my son and like the, the example of a fireplace, like when a fire is made in the middle of your room, it will destroy the house. It will destroy your stuff. But when it's in a fireplace within that room, like it's perfect. Everything has to be in its place. Yeah. The the analogy is simple, but I actually think it's very powerful for
1: what we're trying to say. And so, uh, well, yeah. And to that, I will just say this. Uh, I read a lot of Ronald Rollheiser. Um, He's brilliant, and when it comes to sexuality and spirituality, uh, he's one of the best. He really cares. He really cares about sex in its proper place and what that means for human flourishing in your own heart. And I'll also just say this to your point, um, in the proper place. I love that term. I love your analogy that you gave to your son. I would say people need to start doing their own study and research of understanding the Bible's stance on sexual ecology people need to start doing yes. their work. They need to see what the Bible says about it. They need to read all the erotic chapters. They need to just do the work to have their own convictions. They can't rely on anything else, a Rollheiser, or even this podcast to actually start. Yeah, we can help with insights, but what you're talking about is know the place. We start with scripture and scripture starts yes. right away, right off the bat with sex, right on binaries yeah. and male and female and sea and land and heaven and earth. It starts right off the bat with understanding our sexual ecology. Yes. And this and this raw power that God has placed yeah. within us,
0: and where does that raw power come from, and why do we have it, and how do we actually have the parameters and the place to control it? And only with the power of the Spirit can we live in that fully. And so much of destruction, like I have so much more to talk about on this, and that will be more other podcasts. But uh, but about that that very that very the, the basically the root behind all of what we're talking about. Why do we end up saying that the sexual outlet is the thing that we need to do? Well, there's a lot going on there. Uh, There's a lot behind that, biblically, practically, psychologically, that we need to understand. So, Casey, thanks for being brave and ripping this apart with me today.
1: Appreciate you doing it. Thanks for bringing the topic. I really hope you can reach out to Rollheiser and see if he'll be down for a chat, because he's the cream of the crop. That's a great idea. Yeah, you got the power to reach out to him, dude. You have the contacts. I have the
0: I have the raw energy with I have the fire within to uh, to reach out with that raw energy. I love that. All right. Bye, Casey.
1: Uh, Bye. Hey, uh, seriously, though. I just wanted to say thanks again. Um, that was a, that was a, a vulnerable topic you brought up and, um, the stories you shared. And so, um, it's one of those things where I wouldn't have thought of it in that way, in the sense of how these steps play out in people's lives. So I actually am really, really grateful that you brought this, this topic up. So I appreciate you, uh, and your bravery even in doing it. Oh yeah, man. Well, I mean, I think the more we can normalize,
0: this is a major part of everybody's life. It's just, I think we need to normalize that this is a thing and this is, and this isn't bad. I think understanding and, you know, I think like therapy, um, most of the time, if you've sat with any good therapist, they're not telling you the five things you need to do to get better. They're giving you awareness of what is and awareness brings healing. Right? So I think it's for people, if you're listening, hopefully this is like an awareness that brings healing. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, obviously this is one of those topics that is, uh, it's not always for the faint of heart, but I think it's a big, it's a really important thing. It's a really important thing. So thanks for being you. Thank you for being brave to rip that apart with me.
1: You're welcome.
0: I love all your You're voices. Welcome. Um, that's gross. That was a gross voice. This one? Yeah. I don't like this <laughs> I don't like that yeah. one. Um, so uh, I think you're up next. Well, we'll figure out. We'll, I'll text you, but um, I, I do appreciate uh, the, these conversations. They're always so rich. So um, how are we ending today? How would you like to end today officially? Any, any particular uh, yeah. creativity within that big brain of yours?
1: Yeah, I would love to end today on you sharing your favorite word. Oh, easy. And well, then I'll share my favorite. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Uh, moist. That's a, that's a lie. You're a
0: filthy liar. <laughs> that's not, you're right. I just think it's ironic how many
1: people hate that word. Uh, you it, want, I can think of a word grosser. No, d- uh, I don't care. No, I, come on. I, yeah, well, come on, you do. It's not inappropriate. It's just a gross word. Oh, I, yeah, go ahead. What is it? It's not an inappropriate word. It's just a gross word. Here we go. You ready? Yeah. This word kills me. Flaps. <laughs> Flaps. Flaps kills me, dude. <laughs>
0: Can you explain to me why more. flaps? Why does flaps kill you, uh, bro? <laughs> I, I okay, I so can't so like the back of a truck. There's mud flaps. No, it's more. You're like, talking about biological flaps, like skin flaps. Am I right about that? Yeah, like, and like gills, and almost like yeah. When body- if you've gotten too overweight and your back, instead of having yeah. lats, you have flaps.
1: Yeah, flaps. Like when it's just when like yeah,
0: skin flaps. Yeah. Oh. oh, dude, I saw. I can't remember who's. I I can't remember who sent this to me, but they thought it was funny. I thought it was disgusting. Uh, they sent me this Probably photo him. of this of this guy. No, it was like a little like five second video of a guy sitting, uh, on his bed with his shirt off. of He was a very overweight man, and he lifted up one of his flaps, and his wife was sitting close to him, and she put her foot under one of the flaps, and then he. Let go and then the flap folded over her
1: foot for warmth. Honestly though, it sounds warm.
0: (laughs) With the person who hates socks, I thought you'd hate
1: that. I thought you would absolutely hate that. I hate that, but at the same time, like honestly, that sounds cozy. In wintertime, dude, (laughs) put me in there.
0: (laughs) Casey, do you realize that with dedication over the next six months, you yourself could have those types of flaps. You realize that, right? I could do you could do it in three I bet you I bet you I could gain enough weight to do that in four months give me the challenge give it will destroy my life and my marriage but go ahead give me the challenge I'm ready
1: if that (laughs) destroys your marriage well that's what our next podcast episode is about I'm saying it will destroy my marriage because of how I feel about myself not because my wife (laughs)
0: oh all right yeah I just don't know if your wife was shallow She's, she's not no she's not not even close uh Casey thanks for the conversation um Would you like to please uh, sing us out? It would be
1: great.
0: (laughs) Please stop.